This is the beautiful game described by two ugly gentlemen. Glory to Columbus! Who are probably sitting at a soccer bar near you. McBride's in the box, a hard cross, McBride scores! It's 3-0 United States! Welcome to Bone and Bean United. Happy Soccer Podcast Day. What is up, I am Bone? And I am Bean. And we have a lot to get to today. We have plenty more discussion about the U.S. men's national team. We've got a former coach calling the current situation sad to see. Mm. And it's sad when you find out who's saying it's sad to see. We've got a guy who I think could be a future candidate to be a head coach of a U.S. national team if he ever wanted the job, who right now is going through it at his current club team. So we'll talk about that. Guy. Yeah, well, he is. But, uh, you know, my loyalty lies with the team. I got to oh, yeah. do what's best for the team. Big team loyalty guy. Big team loyalty guy for Leeds. You know that. And uh, the most expensive ticket probably ever for one game. We'll get into all that as we come forward on this uh, soccer podcast day. We'll also talk about Manchester United. We'll start there in a moment because one young Brandon Beam had a very good weekend and then a very bad Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about all that in a moment. But I actually want to spend a quick moment here just letting the listeners in on a little bit of the the friendship because I tweeted about this earlier and I wanted to bring it here because, you know, you guys listen to us. You enjoy the show. Beam and I have a relationship where we don't see each other as often as I would like to. We used of, to see each other all the time, like every, yeah, every single day. Yes, because we worked at shifts where you worked on the Buckeye show and you were there in the evening and then you would get in while I was doing show prep for our afternoon show. Yeah. And then we just naturally were in the office together. Now... You're out of the door by 9 or 9.15 yep. most days, and I usually don't get here till probably 9.30 or 10 most days. So other than Soccer Podcast Day, we don't get to see each other a lot. And then I live in Timbuktu, and he lives in a cool part of town. And <laughs> Anyway, so I'm just saying, like, Beamer and I, I don't— I just say I live closer. I live closer to the things. You live in a very cool part of town. I do. I love my neighborhood. I live in a place where they're questioning whether or not the Earth is 6,000 years old. So whatever. Anyway— more on I thought that. it was only 2,000 years old. No, 6,000. We're only in 2023, 6, 6, are we? 000. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how that works. Anyway, um, so what I'm saying is we don't <laughs> just, get to see each I just other. Got, I just got that. I just got that. <laughs> Stupid. We don't, we don't get to see each other as often as I would like. But our friendship, <laughs> I know, has has strong bonds because it's built on things that are real. And, and those weird things. Those things are unique and weird things that – not everybody has. And when you find other people in your life who have similar things, it's good to hold on to those mm-hmm. and to know that, like, okay, even though we don't see each other as much as we'd like to, the bonds are strong. For example, today in our office, Beam brought up the fact that you referenced out of nowhere. You were like, oh, yeah, it's like at the end of Burn After Reading, and you just you blew my mind because no one references Burn After Reading, at least not many of the people at the sports radio station where we both work. That do sports jobs. Right, they do sports yeah. jobs. We don't get a lot of Burn After Reading references, but then you specifically reference that part of the movie, which is the end of Burn After Reading, <laughs> which is perhaps my favorite moment that's ever been captured on celluloid ever. <laughs> it's it's an If you've never seen this movie, please go watch it. Do I, it. I don't want to build it up too much because I don't want to ruin it for you, but... I will ruin it by saying this. Not, I'm no spoilers, but I would just tell you at the end of this movie, I saw it in the theater with my wife, and for probably three or four minutes straight, I was laughing out loud harder than I've ever laughed at anything. 
even like stand-up comedy shows in I, a public like, place in a public place like i've laughed at a stand-up comedy show for like 30 seconds and be like oh my god wow oh my god can you believe she just said that right I'm watching this movie, and the way it ends, I'm it's a it's a like, <laughs> oh my god, and I'm like hysterically laughing in public. No one else in the theater is laughing like this. My wife is elbowing me. Melissa's just like punching me in the arm, like, "What is wrong with you?" I'm like, "I can't stop laughing. This is the funniest thing I've ever seen." I was out walking out of the theater, telling people, "Cancel your plans. Go watch this movie." Yeah. And they were just like, "You're weird." It's got everything you want. I mean, it's got espionage. Uh, it's got backstabbing. It's got front stabbing with a hammer. It, it's got it's some got, sexual things in there. Oh, and it, it's got sexual things. It's got lots of things. Oh, and if you're like, well, but DIY the, home improvement. But the cast, to build things yourself. The cast probably sucks. Oh, does it? Yeah. Or does it have Tilda Swinton yep. and Francis McDormand and George Clooney? Ever heard of him? Brad Pitt just playing the funniest role he's ever played in his life. <laughs> Oh, and John Malkovich, one of the best performances ever. J.K. Simmons is in this movie for 10 minutes, and I would say is the MVP. Like, I don't need, certainly he's maybe the, like, best sub off the bench in this movie. Like, he's tremendous. So, anyway, I built this movie up. None of you will enjoy it now no. that I've set it up like this. But all-star cast, Coen Brothers wrote, written and directed. There you go. You should have already seen it, and I'm mad that you didn't. It only came out, I mean, 15 years ago. But I'm thrilled, Beamer, that you have seen it. I just went back and I watched it like three weeks ago. And the same scene that you're talking about, I've seen this movie, I I don't know. Probably dozens of times. Yeah. Eight times, 10 times, 15 times, whatever it is. I mean, I've seen it a good amount. Yeah. Every time that they get to the end of the movie, and I know it's coming. I mean, I'm seeing it like a freight train roll at me, and I I can't stop it from laughing. Right. It is. It is. One, it's it's my favorite movie. It, well, I'll put it this way. It's my litmus test movie. Yeah. Long ago, I was at a radio station where a guy there came up with this idea of his movie was unbreakable. Where, like, if someone's telling him, like, oh, man, I really love this movie. And, oh, man, have you seen this movie? You got to check that out. And maybe they're movies you haven't seen. And you're like, well, I don't know if this person likes the same type of movies I do. So this guy's movie was unbreakable. Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, superhero movie. Never seen Spoiler it. Spoiler alert. Uh, it's, it's a good watch. It's fun. I liked it. But... It's it's an it's an interesting movie. But he loves that movie and his litmus test was if you don't like that movie, then I can't guarantee that any other movies you recommend are any good. No, that's fine. That was his personal litmus test. So for me, I think Burn After Reading has become that. Where not that like I think you're a bad person if you don't like that movie. I but do. If, <laughs> okay. But if you're recommending like this is the funniest movie I've ever seen, <laughs> I need to know like what do you feel about Burn After Reading? You're like, "Oh, I watched it. I didn't get it." It's like, "Okay, great. then I it. know then I'm not going to need your recommendation on a movie. What's your recommendation? Rambo. All right. Rambo's fine. I like Rambo for what it is. But again, it's Rambo. I, We all get what that is. The first one, actually, a little more serious. It was like like First Blood and all those other, like, then it, we get a little more like, oh, Rambo we're just, is what it is. We're blowing everything up now. Yeah. What's the one? Uh, I can't remember. Is that the first one where he shows up and is just like in a Washington town where they're like. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And he's like just. And he like takes over a ridge. There's like, been like himself. 19 of them. So yes, I, don't, I know. I can't keep it all straight. Yeah, the one where he went to save the missionaries was the one where he was like 50. Where they brought him back. That one was. There was a lot of blood. In the in last that. blood. Is the yeah, one I that don't. I recently watched, and it's like drug cartels and tunnels. Oh, and- did they do another one? So the one that he they it wasn't they weren't making Rambo movies for like 20 yeah. years, and then they, they made one when back. he was like in his 60s, and he's like 
it's like he went back to the jungle and just stayed there. And then there's a team of missionaries who get captured. And then he goes, believe it or not, when I worked at the Christian radio station, we're way off track. We'll get to soccer. just Or not. No, we will. But when I worked at the Christian radio station, no joke, we got to interview Sylvester Stallone oh my God. for that Rambo movie because of the that, missionary remember the angle. time you were in Rambo? That was they, awesome. They were marketing it to Christian <laughs> like bookstores. And, and it's like, this is an R-rated movie where guys fall off their ankles. They are shot so much that their legs separate <laughs> from their no ankles they and they fall over. That. They did. <laughs> I was on. It was one of these. I mean, Rambo, the last first crusade. <laughs> Well, it was like, cause he, cause I guess he had a real, I don't know. Sylvester Stallone, I think in real life may have had some religious experience. Let him live. Whatever. Sure. But like they wanted this angle as part of the movie, interesting I guess. Interesting way to portray it. Yeah. So it was like, yeah. So he goes and saves these people who got captured in this, you know, jungle and that fine, whatever, whatever plot device you need to blow stuff up. Sure. But anyway, that was, that was one of the more surreal experiences of my life was I didn't interview him, interview him like one-on-one. It was 50 people on a conference call mm-hmm. and he's talking to a person and we were just recording it. And later I put my questions in over his answers, but they were not the questions that he was answering. That's awesome. I used to do stuff like that. I'm and trying to think of litmus test movies for me. So my, like I go to like the Mount Rushmore game, yeah. Grand, Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, now that's one I've never seen. And it's I need it's to. very good. I need to see it. Huge fan of Wes Anderson. Yeah, if you, uh, yeah, I got. I mean, it's, yeah. it takes a certain type of person to like Wes Anderson. The latest movie that they did, like the French Dispatch, it wasn't that good. Um, but the Grand Budapest Hotel to me is like okay, it's so good. And uh, like Ralph Fiennes is the is the main character in it. Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. Either way. Yeah, whatever. I don't know which way you're supposed hey, to say. Hey, man, you say Leon, I say Lionel, <laughs> or whatever team that we did that with. Yeah, Ly- Leon, um, Leon. God, what, is the, what is the other movie that I was just thinking of? Oh, Funny man. Funny movie? Serious movie? Oh, I think Tropic Thunder for me is another. Is Tropic an, Thunder. Is another movie where no way you can make it today. No, no, no. But no. if you watch, it's I. It's the dumbest movie oh, in the entire world. But I have every time I watch that movie, I'm I'm like sweating. I'm laughing so hard. Oh, I, I, I've heard Robert Downey Jr. talk about that movie where they ask him, because if you're not, if you've never seen this movie, he goes blackface the entire way and somehow they are able to get away with it. And I don't know how they did. It, you know, he asked, they, they asked him, they said, Robert, can you make this movie today? He goes, oh, you can make it. <laughs> like, right. You could. But he said, what's funny is he didn't get nearly the criticism he thought he would. And it was Ben Stiller getting all the criticism for being Simple Jack, which also Horrible. Horrid. Which, reminder, you're not, like, Blazing Saddles is a tremendous movie. You could not make it today. Mel uh, Mel Gibson, him not too. him, no. Mel Brooks was making that movie to mock racism. Right. So that was the point of that movie. The racism in it was to be mocked, not to be celebrated and laughed at. Anyway, that same thing in Tropic Thunder. They were mocking how ridiculous Hollywood is yeah. with their premises. And I find that to be hilarious. But was that at the end of Tropic Thunder where Cruz is in the fat suit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, again, that's just like the throwaway part at the end. And it's one of the funniest things you'll ever see. <laughs> Truly great. So. God, litmus test movies. Yeah. That's a yeah. So, well, you know what? It, you can tweet us those at Bone Beam United. Litmus test movies for you. Um, I will not put on their goal. Us the soccer story. What it's, about Bend It Like Beckham? No, they're they're fine. They're fine movies for what they are. Is there a soccer movie that ever Green I mean, Street I, Hooligans? I've speaking of Stallone, Green Street Hooligans I love. 
Meredith, um, most hated movie of all time, Green Street Hooligans. Really? Hates it. Hates now, it. I acknowledge. Like, gets visibly upset <laughs> when she watches it. What What did she know? I, I, I can guess what she maybe didn't like about it was that uh, some of the accents are not believable. Also, didn't like the violence. Oh, well, yeah. That like, I, that's the thing is that movie borders on celebrating it versus yeah, criticizing it. Correct. And I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't like that. I don't like how it ends in that sense where it's like, oh, we're just going to do it. It's like, I can't see Elijah Wood other than Frodo. So I'd have a tough time. Was, watching that. It was a little tough. Yeah, you I mean agree. to tell me this dude who carried a ring for 17 years and traveled up and threw it into Mordor is now bashing people's heads in with glass bottles. Well, and if you've ever watched, uh, oh gosh, what's the, what's the motorcycle gang movie? Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy. Charlie yeah. Hunnam. Charlie Dunham is, or Charlie Hunnam. Right. That's his name. Yeah. He's, He's in this one like, hello, governor, how we doing today? And it's like the worst accent of all time. I acknowledge all that. But uh, anyway, victory. Isn't that a, um, that's Stallone. And that's where they played like, it was like U.S. versus like West Germany or no, East Germany. Oh, I, guess I don't think I've ever seen that. I haven't seen it either, but I know it was a movie about like Cold War soccer game. Oh, okay. I don't, I want to say. It's like Pe- Miracle, but on the soccer field. I want to say Pele was in, I I may be wrong on that. I want to say they had like some cameos from real legit soccer players and Pele somehow was in it. Okay. I could be wrong. I could be very wrong. Whatever. Let's just move on. Anyway, tweet us your uh, litmus <laughs> test movies. We like that. At Bone Beam United. Love to hear it. All right. Uh, let's get into teams that I guess maybe a litmus test for Manchester United would be how you doing against Manchester City. And they Poor passed that last one. last year. They passed that one, though, this time. Beat them two to one. Man, if anybody saw that coming and placed a bet on it, they probably made a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Unless they parlayed it with something like Marcus Rashford scoring one of the two goals. Oh, wait, that but happened. That happened. That would be a thing you could parlay it with and still make a lot of money. If you also parlayed it with Erling Holland scoring the goal for Manchester City. Damn it, Erling. Then you wouldn't have made any money because he didn't <laughs> score that goal. And I say this because both you and I made the same bet. Yeah. And both of us missed out. You had United the- winning 2-1? You I follow? Him, you I ride? Him, you ride with me? Two, yeah, I had him 2-1, Rashford, Holland. Me too. Had the same exact thing. And what were the odds on that for you, buddy? Uh, it was a lot. It was like plus 500, it, or not 500, plus like 5,000 or some crazy. It was like I would have won on a $10 bet. I would have won $500. So it's not, I don't know what that is. I think Probably. mine was like 975. Was it really? It was. Like, oh, whatever, so you must yeah. have caught it at some better odds or something. Because, yeah, but I like, whatever I had, yeah, but I, anyway. The Regardless. Point, Hey, I'll just say this. United, back. We're back. You're, right? Well, we're, you were back until Wednesday. Well, yeah, but let's get into, let's get into the get City into game Sunday. first. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that more than the last five years of being a United fan. <laughs> I mean, and this has been great. Totally, like, this season, should. Eric Tenog has come in. He's obviously, like, changed the whole system. Cristiano Ronaldo, see you later. Uh, he's out. Team is playing really well right now. You're at home. You're going against City. And for years and years and years, City go up a goal. Okay, perfect. Like any big game that they're in, whether it's Liverpool or Arsenal or Chelsea or whatever, like doesn't even matter who the opponent is. Like you go down a goal, the best you're probably going to do is a draw. And so you get into this game, City obviously get the goal. Phil Foden, I was sick too, by the way, that Holland didn't put that in, that Foden hit that because Holland was likely going to score. Anyways, that's just me being very selfish. It's not. You should want your bets to pay off, but whatever. So they go up 1-0 and all of a sudden it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, here we go again. Like, this is going to be disaster for United. And just when you think they're on the precipice of coming back, like, all of a sudden, um, this is going to go sideways a little bit. And then they are able to manufacture something which hadn't happened in years, and that was 
getting the refs to call a blatant offside where it shouldn't have stood at Old Trafford in a meaningful game. That's how I knew. That's how I knew yeah. that Manchester United were back. You get aid from the refs in right. a derby match against your bitter rivals in Manchester City, a team that you hadn't beaten God knows how long since it's been since you got a victory over them, and you get a referee aided goal in a big time minute. I looked at the people at Zaftig who I hang out with, and I looked at them. I said, we're back. All right, title charge is happening. Refs are helping us now. We're back to the Fergie days. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I don't I don't know if you're back to the Fergie days, but no, I do we're think not, not there yet. I know. You were overexcited. But I will say we've talked about him quite a bit on the show this year. Eric Ten Hag continues to and again, I know we're gonna talk about a game where they just lost, but he continues to impress me with how he has moved this team out of the like weirdness with Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, the dark ages. Yeah. You have that whole kind of anchor around your team at the end, right before you go off to the World Cup. And then they've come back. Marcus Rashford is playing great. He wow. is he is everything you'd wanted him to be and more. He's playing phenomenal. Like this whole team is actually playing really well together. Now I realize again they just lost on Wednesday, but Drew felt like a loss. Oh yeah, that's right. It was it was sorry, not a loss. It was a tie. You're right. But still felt like a loss cuz it was a late equalizer. You shouldn't have given up. Either way, this team uh, you're right. I don't I don't think you're uh, as a Manchester United fan, I don't think you're over your skis to say we found something that we haven't had in a while. I think you've got a manager now that you can trust for the next few years to really put something in place and not just, you know, he's going to motivate for six months and yep. then everyone's going to get tired of the right. voice and move on. And, and then you're gonna have the same. No, I think he's got a core group that listens to him and believes in him. I think he's got a system that, that the players want to play and, and he's good at being able to manage minutes and sort guys out and make sure, Hey, this guy's not going. We're not going to just start him for no reason. We're going to make sure guys are in their spots. He's, he's, created some responsibility, accountability, whatever you want to call that, all the sports cliches in the locker room there. And I think that's that's telling. You're seeing it on the field. Well, it's been something that's been missing uh, in that locker room for a long time. But back to that City match, it's 1-1, cool. Three minutes later, uh, Garnacho, who has been terrific, and was listening to Ten Hag's post-game press conference. And about what you mean, like re- responsibility and you know, being proud of your work and everything. So if you go back to Garnacho, like obviously the kid's super talented. He's already been capped for Argentina. I think he's 19 years old. Like yeah. already, pre- I mean, that's World Cup champs. I know that he didn't make the World Cup squad. Uh, wasn't no, on that. But, but he's, he's a talented player. He's going to be at that level, and he's going to be an Argentine senior player soon to come. And he already has been, to be fair to him. And there was this whole big you know, kerfuffle in the summer about him. And when they left for their preseason tour, it's like, why isn't he getting minutes? Why isn't he getting minutes? Look at this guy. Like Jaden Sancho isn't paying out right now, which is a whole nother thing to get in with United. But so the news came out that like Garnacho not taking things seriously and thinks that he deserves more minutes, isn't putting in like training and the work and everything to get up there. And I thought it's been great. I mean, you watch the Fulham game right before the world cup. Garnacho scores the game winning goal in the last minute. Okay, cool. You're off to the world cup feeling good. And then he plays this ball in. First ball gets batted down against City, comes right back to him, the turn, and then to find Marcus on the game-winning goal. And Eric Ten Hag at the end of this press, at the end of the match, after they got three points against City, was just gushing about him, right? He's like, this guy in the last six months since I've been here, since I arrived in July or whatever it has been, he goes, has gone from basically a guy who was got all the talent in the world. But now he's doing the things day in, day out, taking care of himself off the field, doing what he needs to do in training, becoming a team player. And now you're seeing him blossom as this, you know, not only just him himself personally, 
but what he's doing to help the team. And I think that's such a cool thing in sports. And whether you like Manchester United or you like Arsenal or you like Leeds, like to see a player like that young player with so much promise and then to like break through to the other side and like start to figure it out. Like that's a really cool thing. And it's something that has been missing for United for the last, I don't even know how many years it's been a long, long well, time. Right? It, it's felt like, and maybe I'm wrong. It feels like Manchester United, a lot of the last few years has been, let's get some quick fix band-aids. Let's get some like what Chelsea are doing right yeah, now. Yeah. Let's, let's just get some high price players that come in, but they're not going to stick around very long or they're going to be like fantasy players that don't really fit what yeah. we're trying to do. Or if they have young players, they're young players that just don't really show that development. Maybe they come on the scene and then they just kind of peter out or they've just kind of stuck at a level that doesn't improve. And like you said with Garnacho, like he's actually taken some criticism, taken some flack, applied the changes necessary, and then continue to improve his game. And he's 19 years old, playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world. Yeah. And I Marcus think, has done the same thing. Yeah, of course. I mean, look at, I mean a great he's been example. dragged, yeah. right? right yeah. I mean, dragged for the last couple of years. You're supposed to be the guy, right? Ronaldo can't play for forever. You're chasing Wayne Rooney said as soon as you came up here, like this guy's gonna shatter all my records. To so have that expectation. Oh. And then for the last couple of years and what he's had and the riff with Ole and the riff with all the coaches before, and like, oh, is he gonna leave? He's a Manchester kid. I'm gonna pop out the other side, like, all right, now we're discussing a new contract, gonna get the captain's armband, like yeah, it's just it's a really, really wild thing for United that it seems to be that they're finally pushing through now to that to the other side of like stabilized winning. They yeah. have more wins yeah. this year than they did all of last year already in all competition. That's yeah, it's incredible. That is it's quite the turnaround. And Eric Tenog deserves a lot of credit for that. Obviously, the players involved need no to doubt. be credited as well. But yeah, the the tie against Crystal Palace is frustrating Sucked. for them. It does suck. Uh, here's the other thing that's frustrating. Casemiro picks up a late yellow, so he on accumulation now has enough yellow cards. He has to mix the next game. Yep. When's the next game? Sunday. Oh, it's just a big primetime matchup Sunday with Arsenal. No big deal. <laughs> I saw uh, David De Gea was kind of bemoaning the fact that Arsenal didn't have a game in the midweek, but Manchester United did, and then saying, well, how is that fair? Because now we've lost one of our guys for this big pivotal game. Well, they, they wouldn't have had, had a game too. in the midweek. It was canceled. This Palace game was during the whole the Queens. That's right. Queens yes, death. yes, yes. Of course. So I, it's, I think that's kind of short sighted by him. But either way, his point is fair that it just sucks that they had to play a game that their opponents didn't, and now their opponents are rested and normal week of rest, and you instead are going off of emotional high. Now you have a weird tie at the end of a game. Yeah, but Thomas Partey missed the last time that Arsenal went to Old Trafford. United won. Yeah, that's uh, fair. And so now United is going to be missing Casemiro when they head to the Emirates. So it's it's almost like the Premier League season finds ways to even itself out yeah. regardless. By the Somehow way, it happens like that. Arsenal, unbelievably good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know we haven't, spent, we haven't spent enough time talking about them. Great this year, to but see them back. Mikel Arteta has those guys just flying. Oh, he's been one of the best hires of the last three years in all of world soccer. Right or how long and has he been stuck, there? Three or four yeah, years. Yeah, they stuck through him too. I mean, yes, because he, he initially there, we all thought he was toast. toast, not good. Thought that was a bad idea. Didn't work out. But when they have more goals, like I was looking at this, like the invincible season, they've got more goals this year. I want to say than that year combined, or at this point in time, like more goals per game. Like it's. Awesome that, if to you see don't them. know the invincible season for those who are newer to soccer, go look up Arsenal. I forget was that oh four? That sounds right. Or six we somewhere got in that range. Arsenal fans are screaming. No, at us I right know. Now. And again, Arsenal fans, I'm not one of you, but I know the Invincibles. They were an undefeated team. They they won and tied. They never lost that oh, three, season. Oh, four. Thierry Henry, just like 
uh, just tons of guys in their primes, like all household names. Just, yeah, they were fantastic rosters. So, yeah, the Invincibles scoring more goals than that team, very impressive. Yeah. Like, that's something to hang your hat on. It 26 wins, 12, lo- 12 draws. Yeah, that'll do it. That's, that's your big boy right there. That's what you want if you can get that. So Arsenal has uh, all to play for, lots to play for this weekend. Both teams do. That should be a tremendous matchup. I may join you and go watch that. I'm going to try to join you. Arsenal getting clipped Sunday. What? What would you say? Arsenal getting clipped Sunday. Oh, getting United. clipped. Okay. Three points. Okay. Take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. All right. I may just do that. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the guy who's managing my Premier League team this year and uh, getting some heat from the media, to say the least. We'll talk about that next. You're listening to Bone and Beam United. Thanks for checking us out. Make sure you give us a rating on the store where you got this. If it was Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us a rating. We'd appreciate it. Now, whatever's coming next. Welcome back to Bone and Beam United. So uh, we have got lots to talk about on this part of the podcast. We're still going to talk about one of the most expensive tickets I've ever seen for any sporting event, let alone a soccer game. Uh, we'll talk about former U.S. coach who called out the situation between Burhalters and Reynas. That's all coming up. But first, let's talk about Jesse Marsh, Leeds United head coach, former U.S. national teamer, former MLSer, MLS coach. Anyway, Jesse Marsh, my guy. Rooting for him over at Leeds. Hope he does good things. Unfortunately, right now, here's where Leeds are. 15th in the table. Okay. Haven't won a league game since November 5th. Now, again, there was an entire six, eight-week period where they weren't playing league games, but still, there's been plenty of soccer since then, and they haven't won any of those games. So they're not exactly doing great. On top of that, there was a report in the media that his players, some of the players have turned on him and that this is, this is, there's unrest in the squad and maybe he's not the right guy. Classic. Yeah. This is classic British tabloids. Every, every manager in, you're not really an English soccer manager until you've had an article about this written about you. Oh, for sure. Everyone has. Um, So here's what Jesse Marsh had to say. He said, I know it's hard for everybody to be patient and I come into the spotlight if we're not getting results. I want to try and find a way for our fans, our club, and everyone to keep their belief in this team because I see them every day, the players. I see their work ethic. I see their commitment to each other. Even this report that comes out, the BS that some of the players are against me is just awful, awful. We are united. We are together. We are doing everything we can as a group. Um, He then said, we are all harboring the responsibility, especially me. We believe in ourselves, and we know we're going to get better. Um, So they take on Brentford this week, who's Brentford having a tremendous season. Great job by the bees. It's yeah, going to be a eighth tough in the game. League. Yeah, it's going to be a tough game for Leeds. Higher than Liverpool and Chelsea on the table. <laughs> Who would have thought? Not, Not me. me. Not me either, buddy. Not me either. Now, here's what Jesse Marsh has going for him in his category or in his, I guess, in his favor. They did go out and bring in a new forward, Giorgino Ruder. Okay. I believe is how you say his name. Uh, they brought him in from the Bundesliga side, Hoffenheim. Club record fee that Leeds paid to transfer this dude in. So, I don't think you're doing that. I know it's transfer window. You're going to do what you have to do for the future of your team. But typically you would see a manager that's not got the faith of and the backing of ownership. You probably wouldn't see them go out and sign a club record transfer while he's, they would want the new manager to come in right. and then have that guy direct some of those signs. Oh, you seem to be think. playing in our system just fine. Yeah. You would think you would want, you would actually think that 
wouldn't make sense to keep that coach around if you're going to plan on firing him and certainly not let him make club record signings. So um, they're also bringing up, and again, this is how bad it's gotten. This is big news that the chief executive of Leeds, Angus Kinnear, hugged Jesse March in front of the <laughs> media following their 5-2 FA Cup victory over Cardiff, which Cardiff is in the second division. So, I mean, they should have won that game. But yeah, so they're looking for any signs the media are of like, oh yeah, see, Jesse Marsh is fine. He's getting hugged. Everything's resolved. It's rough. And I'll say this for Leeds. I I have I have enjoyed watching them and I've enjoyed, you know, kind of getting into the fan base a little bit. But never doubt this about Leeds fans or just about I mean, most of your teams that have a history like that team does or has a a, a long history of being successful, being at top level. Leeds is one of those teams that had many years oh, at the top level of English soccer pre-Premier League and even during the Premier League. But they're one of those teams that has a very proud fan base. I don't want to, again, I'm making other sports comparisons that aren't 100% accurate, but like if you're a college football fan, how Nebraska fans are about their football team, where like they're super invested in believing that they are just a couple things away from being a top five team again every year, every year they, they feel like, and they feel like that's something that they're owed because they were once yeah. the greatest program in college football Your royalty 10 year period or more. So they haven't, I know Leeds hasn't quite been to that level, but they were really, really good for a long period of time. I'm just saying their fans, you might say, Oh, well they should just be happy to stay up this year. All that stuff. Nope. That's not how their fans look at it. And, and I don't blame them at all for thinking that, much as I like Jesse Marsh and I want him to succeed, if the results don't change, he's not going to be the manager at the end of this year. Yeah, no way. And, and certainly, I don't even know if it gets to a point where they let him see them through to the end of the season if it looks like they might get relegated. And it's just like, well, we're going to go down a championship, whatever. Like, no, they they will not give up on this season until it is mathematically impossible. And I'm saying ownership, front office, they will say, we may need to make a change if there's a mathematical possibility we can stay up. They're not at that. They're only, they're two points out right now. The two points up on safety, so they're yep. fine. They're not getting relegated. And right I mean, now, we're only but, half the season done too. I mean, there's a, yes, there's such there's a long way yes. to go. But I'm, that's what I'm saying is like, if ten games go by, eight or yeah. ten games, and it's not improved, he's and gone. he's yeah, he'll be toast. It doesn't matter what they're doing right now. It doesn't matter what nice words are being said. It doesn't matter that they signed this guy. They they will say that. Well, we didn't know he was going to continue to be this bad. They they are signaling right now. They have faith in him. They will not keep that faith if a month and a half goes by and they are not closer to a top 10 team than a relegation team. Well, it's pretty wild to think. I mean, last year, Leeds were going through the same exact thing. They All were. Right, save off elimination. Okay, cool. We're going to fire a coach. We're going to bring Jesse Marsh in. Yes. He's the hero, right? Yes. Uh, it took right. down to decision day mm-hmm. for them to win on like a last minute yes. last minute goal yes. to get out of relegation. And my guess is that they will not wait around long enough to see themselves in that same kind of a situation. By the way, if you're not familiar with the table right now, or if you haven't been like looking yeah, at yeah, it, yeah. like the bottom half, um, you have, which is pretty wild to think about Southampton in last 20th place. Yeah. Everton and West Ham. Not, what, how not good what, not West what Ham expected, was man. last year with David Moyes. Now just blow it up. Like you got West Ham and Everton in the drop zone, again, half the season to go. Things can obvious, obviously change. But the situation that's going on with Everton and their, I mean, owners. That's, that's and, I mean, it's mess. just, that's a mess. And then what's going on with West Ham? That's a mess. Meredith is cackling that West Ham is so bad because she hates them from Green Street Hooligans. Yes, correct. That's what I did. 
Yeah. Your hates wife, those stupid your wife bubbles. Hates, yes, hates the bubbles. I'm forever blowing bubbles in the championship next year. Yeah, that's not what they're doing. It's going to go for their stadium lease, too, that 99-year lease that they signed. That's on the Olympic Stadium, right? Yeah. That, yeah, that's not. That, again, this is this is the amazing, and I know there are people that bring this up all the time, like, we should have promotion relegation in America. Well, we could do a whole podcast on that. Maybe someday we will. But with English soccer... Because there are, I don't know, 60 teams, 100 teams that have the history, the passion. Mm -hmm. It's just a different thing there, which I don't think many other countries can replicate, but certainly not in the U.S. You can't replicate the fact that, like, you're right, West Ham, historic team, historic program, like, fan base all over the world, ridiculous amount of people. I got a West Ham guy who lives right down the street from me, flies a West Ham flag, two blocks away. Right. I'm saying like they have an international fan base, just like, I mean, again, there's probably three dozen or more teams that have large international contingents of fans. Sunderland that I root for down in the, you know, championship this year are up in the championship finally, but like they've been relegated for three or four years down to the third division. They have mass. They have, they have a North American supporters group that has chapters all over the country. Yeah. This is a team that's been second and third division the last five years. Like, I'm just saying the relegation battle is fun because you have so many fan bases that can weather the storm. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. It's horrifying. It's scary. It's all that stuff. But it can happen because you know you're not going to lose 80% of your fans if they go down. To, if West Ham goes down to championship next year, they're going to then reload, try to get right back up and all that stuff. And it may not work. But they're not going to lose their fans. They're well, not they, going to lose the support of the community. They're not going to lose all that stuff. They'll fire a bunch of people. They'll resign different people, all that. But that's why you can have, in my mind, promotion relegation easier over there. Because you have a good amount of teams, at least 35 or 40, that have international fan bases and can easily weather a few years down in championship. The terrifying prospect, I guess, for Everton fans and West Ham fans, not saying that it's easy to get the drop, like not saying that if Nottingham Forest got the drop, like it would be any easier to recover. Right. These teams become so dependent on that money that comes in from the Premier League, though. Oh, yeah. And so you see this happen, and, I mean, look at Portsmouth right now, right? I mean, Pompey for a long time, middle 2000s. Well, that's what Portsmouth, uh, Bolton back in the day. for sure, Reading. These were teams that when I first started following the Premier League, they were, it was like, no doubt they're Premier League teams. You're hearing about them all the time, and if they did go down, you're like, well, they'll be right back up. There's no, like... I would I would I would put them like and I don't mean I'm sure other fan base will get mad like how Newcastle United is sure is Newcastle United win the league anytime soon no maybe now with well, their new owners right now maybe but I'm saying like they have not been that team for yeah. the majority at least of the last 20 years Fulham. right but Newcastle has been a team that's like a steady Premier League team they're always a tough out they've got a legend and again mm-hmm. huge fan base giant grounds and I say this as a Sunderland fan I hate Newcastle United but they're a good team they're a good organization that's where Bolton was. That's where Reading was. That's where all these, like you just mentioned, Portsmouth. That's that's the level. I'm sure some Newcastle fans have a problem with that. I'm just saying to the lay American fan, they were like that. Good, decent Premier League teams that just couldn't really get over the hump, but they were solid and they were always competitive. And and now they are, yes, in various forms of bankruptcy or yeah. non-existence. Or, it's been awful. So, so you're if they right. don't get back up that following year, yeah. Like it's always so tough because then the money struggles really hit. That's, and then you right. see like the the big drops. Like that's all of a sudden then, you go from Premier League for the last 
50, 60 years or top tier, and then you don't get yourself back up in, in time for that money to come back and players and yeah. players leaving and you're firing coaches left and right. And then you got to worry about fending off relegation from the championship. And then once you're down into league one, like who, who the hell knows what this team's going to deal well, with. And then like, Sunderland, like my team that went through that, that's been the big fear. Still there going was that, through that. Well, no, they're still going through it. But like when they go down to the third division, then it becomes like, oh my gosh, if they go down one more division to like fourth division, that's kind of it before you get to, this is not professional soccer. Like the shrimpers are in uh, conference premiere, right? Where it's like semi-pro soccer. Yeah. Like I'm not making that up. And this is for, I mean, Sunderland has one of the largest stadiums in England. Yeah. They are a huge, massive fan base, and they've been able to sustain it, and they've been able to weather that three or four years down. I think it was four years total they were down and come back up now to get to the second division. And then you're right, though. Like, that's not normal. That's very rare to see a team that stays down that long suddenly climb back mm-hmm. to the second division. It's more, more what you see is teams go down to that second division, hang there for a couple years, maybe dip third division for a moment and back up to second. And then they get up to premier league. But yeah, it's, I'm not saying what I meant was the fan bases do not, they do not abandon these teams. No, no. But the money certainly is different. If you are in the premier league versus in the championship, the TV money is night and day different. Uh, Let's switch gears. Let's talk about another guy who has coached the U S men's team. Well, I guess Jesse Marsh never coached the U S men's national team, but he's a U.S. soccer player and whatever bad transition. We'll get to the story. (laughs) <laughs> Jurgen Klinsmann said about the public dispute between Greg Berhalter and the family of Gio Reyna. He said it is quote, obviously not looking good for us soccer. Jesus. No, it's not. Um, he said about uh, how the team is done. He said they've done okay, but they were not kind of, they were not capable of kind of stepping it up there and making something happen, which is total Jurgen Klopp or Jurgen Klopp. I can always do that. Hey, Jurgen, Jurgen Klinsmann Klopp, speak future no, U S men's national team. Sure. Coach. Let's take it. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann speak, because that's what he would always do after games. Like, well, we didn't do a good enough job to do the things we had to do to win. It's like, what does that mean? Well, we just, we could have been better in a lot of good areas. And we weren't Did you good slip into your Jurgen Klinsmann accent there for like a half a second? I might have just for a brief moment. I think moment. you did. I might have just for did. a brief moment. But again, I understand it's not his first language, but he, he says a lot of things. Jurgen Klinsmann sounds like, and Beam, you'll get this, when we're on the radio and we have really no good thoughts on anything, and we're just like, oh, yeah, man, that guy, he was... He was really good. He's he's tough. He's I think the other day I said Luke Fickle, good football coach. <laughs> right. You just like I, I just no, I gotta I'm say something. To, I'm out of things to say. I gotta about say the guy. something. That's how Urin Klinsman strikes me all the time. Like <laughs> just kind of like I don't know, man. Is this segment over? I gotta get out of here. Word salad. Um, yeah. But uh, in either case, he did call it sad to see, and he's right. I mean, it's it's a sad situation that shouldn't have happened. I don't know how this gets resolved, and I don't know exactly what's going to come of that. But I am. I am hopeful that U.S. soccer reaches some kind of decision sooner than later because we can't have it be, I don't know, another two months where you don't have anything coming here as far as who the head coach is. Oh, you need direction. You're already in a short time frame compared to the last World Cup yeah. that you've had. You, I mean, last World Cup technically had eight years, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like World Cup cycles three and a half years this year, not four. So that is a big deal for them. They've got to figure that out. Yeah, it really is. I think we were – Last week or a couple of weeks ago, I forget. I can't remember. You need a Jurgen Klinsmann type of guy now. Like mm-hmm. Jurgen was. Listen, I'm in like the one percent of U.S. soccer fans that actually liked Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, I think he did a decent job given with what he what he was given to work work with. Yeah. Um, you need that kind of a guy now. 
and it seems that like every cycle they kind of get it wrong uh, with what you're trying to do. But I, I do find it pretty interesting how you're just like, yep, sad to see. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's so weird how now we're taking the voice of Jurgen Klinsmann, who for a while was like, man, blank that guy. Yeah, right. And now it's like Jurgen Klinsmann is an endearing figure. I know. And everybody's saying, well, that's sad. If Jurgen thinks it's sad, then I'm sad too. And it's a bad situation that you're in. It is a really just wild, wild story, though. It is. Um, while we're here, I will bring up that they do have, so January camp has started for the U.S. men's national team. I do have the camp roster. I won't bore you with everyone in it. There's a lot of guys getting first-time call-ups. Mm-hmm. They're... Um, You'll be shocked to find out is no Gio Reyna call up. And that's okay. I mean, there's no you know, Christian Pulisic's hurt. They're not yeah. calling him up. There's there's a lot of guys who played in the World Cup who are not called up. But there's two guys I wanted to highlight. One, Aiden Morris yep. from the crew getting a call up as he should. Also getting the number eight this year, Aiden Morris for the crew. Yeah, yeah, big deal there. He's he's He is the future at, at defensive midfield for yep. this crew team. I mean, they know it. They know that this year he's going to have to have a monster year. So it starts it off with a bang going to U.S. national team camp. That's good. The other guy I wanted to highlight, um, and my buddy Scott sent me this, and I'm glad he brought it up because I would have probably missed it otherwise. Emmanuel Sabi got a call up. And if you're not aware of Emmanuel Sabi, this is a dude from Gehanna who is playing in the Danish Super League. Okay. Real good success story. Um, I'm trying to remember because I knew this story, and I had followed him a while ago and kind of lost track of where he was. Um, yeah, but he is playing for Odense in uh, the Danish Super League. Okay. He's 25 years old, born in Italy, but I believe his parents came to the U.S. Um, Ghanaian parents came to the U.S. and played for much of his youth for the Ohio Premier Soccer Club in Columbus. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, he They became national finalists in 2014 while he was on the team. Uh, they played at the national championships in Maryland. He won the Golden Boot, most valuable player for that tournament. Um, but he is, uh, and then he signed a youth contract with Las Palmas, and uh, moved on to there in his youth career, and then eventually uh, was kind of was going to go play for University of Akron. Decided not to do that. Instead, signed a professional contract in Denmark, and then has been there ever since. So this is a guy though who's been toiling in Europe for a few years and is a good forward. He scores a lot of goals. Like so, I'm glad to see other guys in this forward lineup getting a look because you really need to find another answer at forward. And I don't know that he'll be it. Sure, but I just wanted to highlight a local soccer connection where. Like, there's so many players that are here in Columbus. And I'm sure this is the same for, name your top 30 metro areas. Yeah. But you have a lot of players who, you know, born and raised in the U.S. and, and their, their families are from here and all that stuff. You also have a lot of players, because you have migrant families that come here, you mm-hmm. have people who have emigrated to the U.S. and they love soccer. And those communities are now, fortunately, starting to be served a little bit by the greater soccer good here in Columbus, right? I think the crew are starting to make some better inroads mm-hmm. in those ways. They need to continue. It needs to grow. But I think that's something that's been overlooked for many years. And I'm glad to see that that's not happening, uh, that, that that people aren't getting overlooked just because, oh, well, you may not fit into one of like three or four, you know, particular, I don't know, pools of players that we typically look at. Yeah, It's good to see that, you know, there are players who maybe, you know, came here from another country, have a different heritage, but are still able to come up through the system and find ways. I'm glad he got to play in a premier system uh, at a youth level. Just get, get the a instruction. Look, right? right. And then you go from there and it worked out. Now he's playing in Europe. The last thing I'll say on that is I wish we could get more people in soccer to go to all communities, right? And highlight that, hey, it's okay if you're not a pro athlete 
per se or like maybe the football coach isn't giving you a look or the baseball coach doesn't think you're any good or you're not tall enough to play basketball mm-hmm. or whatever like you know you can play soccer like you maybe maybe you're great at soccer like I feel like so many players get left fall through the cracks because they're convinced that the only way to go have like a superstar athlete's life is to play one of three sports you know and instead it's like no you could go play soccer and literally travel the world and you also don't need to be great immediately I mean, how many times no, have we seen that? Late bloomers, yes, of course. You, it, Don't get discouraged, kids. Our youth soccer programs sometimes do that where it's like, oh, at seven, he's not the best player. Well, he's not going to amount to anything. And it's like he's yeah, seven. Travel teams, you're going all over the place. Like, uh, the, the, the drama, that's a whole, that's a whole, drama, different, that's drama a whole with, different podcast The drama episode. with youth sports, yes. Because it does. And, and we, I've seen it in other areas where it's not even sports, where kids get pigeonholed or there's like a couple of families yeah. that like their kids are at everything and suddenly they get all the – you know, prime assignments to do things. And, and it, it happens. It happens in youth sports, and too. And the pressure on these kids nowadays, too. Like, yeah, man, it's, it's ridiculous. Just, it's well, especially, lot. you know, like mom and dad footed all the money to go to this hotel and like travel eight states away to go play in this tournament. And now you've got to go out there and you have a bad game and you don't feel like, oh, I just had a bad game. You feel like I let the whole family down. Right. It's not good. It's a lot to deal with when it you're is. So, nine years old. Right. And I know some people say, well, that's what the pressure is in soccer. It's like, yeah, but maybe when you're like 15, you're better at that than when you're eight. Maybe you're better at dealing with that. You'll learn some tricks to deal with pressure. I still haven't. Well, me either. Uh, last thing we'll get to here, the ticket that is insane. This is disgusting. Uh, in uh, This story comes from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. A football fan has paid $2.6 million for a VIP ticket to see Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi go head-to-head in Saudi Arabia. This is an exhibition match at King Fahd International Stadium on Thursday, which is Soccer Podcast Day. PSG is playing... A select group of players made up from players from Al-Hilal and Ronaldo's new club, Al Nasser. So, uh, shockingly, Cristiano Ronaldo, who has not, I believe... This is his his, first game. He hasn't made his debut for Al Nasser yet, but he's already been selected as an all-star. Sure, of course he has. That's fine. Uh, In either case, uh, that's why he's getting paid all this money, right? Is to basically go to Saudi Arabia, play in this league... And then they're going to bring in matches whenever they can. Of course. That'll be exhibition matches featuring him playing other great stars. And sure, if you've got the money to make that happen and pay PSG, how much money do you have to pay PSG to say, yeah, middle of the season, we're just going to play an exhibition (laughs) game. How much money does that take? (laughs) This is a champ. This is a like, you know, a team that in many years is in Champions League and fighting to be a good Champions League team. It's a team that has Neymar and Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe on it. And they're like, yeah, we can, we need the, well, they're paying us enough money to come over here and play one game, so we'll do it. Um, but in either case, there you go. $2.6 million for VIP ticket to watch an exhibition game. With so the bidding Lionel started Messi. at $260,000 and then ballooned up to $2.6 million. Now that you is... do get locker room access and VIP meet and greets, I guess. Okay. I mean, I mean, what are we doing? It's $2.6 million to go watch guys be annoyed with you as you stand <laughs> yeah. in your locker room. That's what I always think about VIP <laughs> yeah. experiences. Like, all these guys are like, I don't want to be here. Hey, man, nice to hey, meet you. there's the rich dude I got to say hi to. Hello, douchebag. All yeah. right, see you later. Can I get out of here now? Like, that's all I would be yeah. thinking about if I paid $2.6 million. It's like, these guys hate my guts. They don't want to see me. They're annoyed by Which me. Which is why I wouldn't pay $2.6 million for it. Me too. Actually, you know what? It's a redemption tour for Salt Bay. He's the one who's paying oh, this. Salt- <laughs> He's a redemption with a messy He's like, selfie. I will, I'll bring all the steaks. I will put salt on them. That's all I'll do. I won't try to grab any trophies. I won't try to get in selfies. I just want to give you steak. Can I do that? All right. Anything else from you before we get out of here? No, not really. Okay, cool. Burn after reading. 1130 Manchester United Arsenal. 
I'm going to try to go. Tottenham I, and City today, too. So by the time yeah. this podcast is posted, this probably will already have happened. Yeah. What a game that was, huh? How about those Tottenham cities? They City and Tottenham. How about Tottenham a, last week against Arsenal? They stunk. <sighs> yeah. I did not I did not anticipate they, that. They stunk so bad that the worldwide the worldwide freeze happened on the TV broadcast. That's right. Yes, I forgot about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh it's a wild it's a wild week of soccer. And I'm sure we'll have another one next week when we come back. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Bodie, our producer. He's Brandon Beam. I'm Jonathan Smith. We'll see you next time.